We are in Acts chapter 15. And the topic I'm addressing this morning is learning from conflicts. I don't know if you have realized that our response to conflicts can either strengthen our relationships or damage our relationships. How we respond to conflicts, disagreements, will either strengthen us or damage the relationships that we have. And when I say this, I'm reminded of churches that have split because of the way people responded to conflicts. I'm reminded of uh, relationships that have been broken because of how someone responded to conflicts. I'm reminded of dysfunctional families and the conflicts we have in the political world. And in this text, we have two conflicts that take place. And we are going to look at both of them. The first one is a theological conflict. It's one of the reasons Christians don't agree is usually theological. We have positions that we hold on to so strongly. And sometimes we even try to bend the scriptures so that they can fit our positions because we are not ready to be bent by scriptures. In chapter 15, we are told certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. That is a problem. They come to Gentiles, believers, and they are telling them, your salvation is not complete because you have not submitted to the law of Moses. You are uncircumcised. For you to be fully saved, you have to be like us. You have to abide to the law of Moses. And we are told... Uh, this brought Paul and Barnabas into sharp dispute and debate with them. So Paul and Barnabas were appointed along with some other believers to go up to Jerusalem to see the apostles and elders about this question. So they, there was a debate, a discussion, just as it always uh, happens in our churches when we disagree. But these people, after debating and discussing, they said, well, Paul and Barnabas, you are our leaders, so we are going to send you to Jerusalem where you can meet the apostles and the elders, and let's hear 
from them because the apostles, the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Jesus Christ being the great cornerstone. So they go to the apostles to, with the question, this theological question. This question means that uh, if circumcision is necessary for salvation, then the death of Christ was not enough. So salvation by grace is at stake here. And of course, as they head to Jerusalem on the way, they continue sharing the good news of the Gentiles coming to Christ and uh, believers are rejoicing as they hear that. In verse 6, the apostles and elders met to consider this question. They came together to talk about it. And after much discussion, Peter stood up. And he says, brothers, you know that some time ago, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. Peter had an experience, we talked about this, when a, a basket from heaven he saw in a vision come down and he was asked to cut and eat. And three times he refused, but that was an illustration of what God was doing in Cornelius' house. God was teaching Peter that he does not discriminate, that he is the only one who can make someone pure regardless of where they come from. God was teaching Peter that he accepts the Gentiles just as he, ac he accepts the Jews, that when Christ died, he died for all. And so Peter has this experience, so he stands up and he shares his experience. He says, brothers, I have had this experience and you know about it because I told you about it. How God made a choice to use me of all people to share the gospel with the Gentiles. And they believed after hearing the gospel. And then Paul and, and Barnabas also shared their experiences of how God has used them to reach out to the Gentiles. So what they are saying is, we have seen this happen without circumcision. We've seen God save them. I like what Peter says. In verse 10, he says, Now, now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of the Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. You see, the Jews believe, and many of them continue to believe today, that 
their salvation depends on the law of Moses. And this is why there was a contradiction between them and Christ. And Jesus told them that you search the scriptures for you think that in them you will find eternal life. And those scriptures testify of me. Jesus told the Israelites that the law of Moses that you follow, that you submit to, points you to me. The law was given to help people know that they are sinners. It was given to help them realize how weak they are. So that they can turn to God for salvation. And Jesus comes and he says that he has come to fulfill the law. Because everything that the law is supposed to do is accomplished in Christ. And so the whole assembly became silent as they listened to Barnabas and Paul. And then, when they finished in verse 13, James spoke up. James here is the brother of Christ. James here is the leader of the church in Jerusalem. And he says, brothers, listen to me. Simon has described to us how God first intervened to choose a people for his name from the Gentiles. The words of the prophets are in agreement with this. And it is written, after this I will return and rebuild David's fallen tent. Its ruins I will rebuild and I will restore it. That the rest of mankind may seek the Lord even all the Gentiles who bear my name, says the Lord who does these things, things known from long ago. And he says, it is my judgment, therefore, that we should not make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. And I would say this, to us, because sometimes we are tempted to make it difficult for people who are turning to the Lord. We are tempted because we want them to abide to our traditional practices. We want them to see things the way we see them. We want them to act like us. We are tempted to want people to dress the way we dress. For some reason, we forget that it is God who saves. It is God who takes the initiative to save. 
It is God who sent his son to die on the cross. He did not ask for our opinion. He didn't consult me. He just did it. But sometimes we are tempted to make people uh, see things the way we see them for us to qualify them. And there are people who think that God has given them that mandate. They are the ones who will decide whether you are saved or not. No, if I wasn't a believer, I would have said to hell with them. But I'm not going to say that. It's a good idea, right? <laughs> we should not make it difficult for those who are turning to God. Instead, James suggests that they write a letter and send some brothers with them with these words, which I think are important for us to know. To abstain from food polluted by idols, because this is important, especially for young believers. There was a lot of idol worship going on. So you want to make sure that you are providing the right guidance. This does not add to salvation, but it's a good testimony. Sometimes as a believer, there are things you deny yourself, not because they are sinful, but because of your testimony. Because they may confuse someone. <laughs> uh, how can I say this? As a believer, sometimes you have to choose how you dress. Because you don't want people to confuse you. As a believer, you have to choose the words that you use. Your vocabulary. So that you don't confuse people. That does not make you, uh, it, it does not add to your salvation, but it protects your testimony. So they are told here to avoid food sacrificed to idols and to abstain from sexual immorality. Again, especially in a culture, in fact, the word that is used here is a Greek word, ponea, which is the same word we get pornography from. Abstain from that. It's not, and, and, the, and one of the reasons this is being emphasized in this letter is because there was a lot of idol worship and sexual immorality was rampant too. So stay away from that. It is sinful anyway. 
And you know in this church, we don't promote that. In fact, let me just be clear. We don't expect if you are not married to have a sexual relationship with someone. It is sinful. Now, if you're doing that and you come here, we will still treat you well, but we still remain very conscious of the sin that you are choosing to do. We will still call that sin. Sexual immorality. And of course, if you're married, you know where your boundary is. Okay. Am I supposed to be done by now? <laughs> I'm going to have this alarm for him today. And the other thing they were told to avoid is from the meat that is strangled, from strangled animals, and from blood. Now, the reason they need to avoid this is because of the Jews. Because it says down here, for the law of Moses has been preached in every city from the earliest times and is read in the synagogues on every Sabbath. And the law of Moses forbid that. You don't eat a strangled animal. It had to be slaughtered so that blood can be drained out. Because God, since the beginning, has been teaching his people that life is in the blood. That's why it makes sense for Jesus to die on the cross and shed his blood that gives us life. God was pointing his people to Christ from the beginning, helping them understand that your life is in the blood. And our life is in our blood. If your blood is taken away, you are gone. And just as our physical life is in our blood, then our spiritual life is in the blood of Jesus Christ. So they are encouraged to avoid these things because all the Jews and the Gentiles that go to the synagogues understand this. So if they don't avoid them, they are going to have to, it's going to be difficult for them to reach out to those people. So these are necessary compromises. They don't add to salvation. They don't take away from your salvation. But you compromise them for the sake of the gospel. If you went to a church where they have a dress code and you want to worship in harmony, you will need to submit to that, to that dress code. If you can't, find another church. Go away. Don't go there and try to change people. That's what we like doing. I, I don't understand people. If you go to a church and it doesn't fit you, there's another one that will receive you. Just as when you reject Christ, the devil is ready to receive you. (laughs) 
<laughs> he will not turn you away. And so, this is a theological question, and they handled it in a theological manner. And, and you look at verse 28, when they wrote the letter, they say, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit. Which means they were sensitive to the leading of the Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements which I have talked about. So the question that has been settled by scriptures is not a question that is up for discussion. If the scripture says it, it settles it. Our job is to submit to it. We, we cannot have a discussion on whether sin is sin or not. We can discuss about things that are not clear in the scripture. For example, the scripture does not say that you don't smoke cigarette, right? Or you have a verse. The scripture doesn't say that, but God has given you wisdom, right? The scripture says everything is lawful, but not everything is beneficial. So you have to ask yourself, even though it is lawful, how does it benefit me? As a believer. And that's where you apply your wisdom. If you realize, wow, when I smoke, I feel closer to Jesus. Go ahead. So Paul and Barabbas returned to the church in Antioch with joy, with the good news. They are coming to share this good news. And the once they get there, they also decide, actually Paul makes this suggestion in verse 36. He says to Barnabas, let us go back and visit the believers in all the towns where we preached the word of the Lord and see how they are doing. Let us go there. And Barnabas wanted to take John also called Mark with him. John Mark is Barnabas' cousin. They once went with him to a mission trip. Then he decided to return. So he suggests that let's, let's take him again. And you know Barnabas. Barnabas is an encourager. He always wants to encourage, to provide an opportunity for someone to grow and experience ministry. But Paul did not think it wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. Now listen, here is the second conflict. They had such a sharp disagreement 
that they departed company. Great men of God. You remember that Barnabas is the one who introduced Paul to the apostles when everyone else was avoiding him. Barnabas is the one who went and invited Paul to come to Antioch so that they can disciple the believers together. He's always been there for Paul. But now there's a conflict between them because of Barnabas, because of John Mark, and they part ways. Now, if you are too spiritual... You would say, I think the Holy Spirit wanted them to double their ministries. <laughs> this is a sharp conflict. They, they are passionate. Let's go with him. No, we are not going with him. No, let's go with him. No, we are going. Okay, then I'm going this way. Okay, I'm going this way. They don't even say, well, let, let us pray. Let, let's take time and pray and, and see what the Lord wants us to do. They don't. They don't even invite other believers to come and give their opinion. No. I strongly don't see God causing this conflict. But there's something about conflicts that I see here that I think it's important for us to learn. And the first thing is that conflicts open a door for the enemy to attack us. When the Jews were claiming that the Gentile believers needed to be circumcised for them to be saved, that was opening a door to the enemy. And here, it is also opening a door to the enemy. They have been a strong team. They have worked together successfully. God has used them. And now, they can no longer work together because they cannot agree. But the other thing that I see about conflicts is that... Uh, it does not only open a door, and, and it's important for us to know that every time we have a conflict, the enemy is receiving an invitation. Every conflict sends an invitation to the enemy. That's why it's important to deal with the conflicts as soon as possible. That's why it's important for us to respond in a wise way. But conflicts also reveal who we are. 
Every time we have a conflict, it reveals who we are. The first thing conflicts reveal is that we are a work in progress. Because every, in every conflict, either all the people involved are looking at it uh, in a wrong way, they are all wrong, or one of them is wrong at least. They reveal that we are not a finished product. We are not fully like Jesus. And how we respond to conflicts will always reveal whether we are more like Christ or less like Christ. Because conflicts do not create character, they reveal character. And so one of the things that is being revealed here is that Paul and Barnabas are human. They too have fallen short of the glory of God. They too need the grace of God. As much as God has used them to do greater things, they are still human. They are a work in progress. And sometimes I think that is a, is a good way of responding to conflicts. You know, if you have a conflict with your spouse, that just remind her that you are a work in progress. <laughs> Honey, I'm not there yet. <laughs> By the way, let me say this to all the women that are here. Thank you so much for making Father's Day possible. Here is the third thing about conflicts. They give us an opportunity to grow. Every time there is a conflict, it helps you see the areas of your life that need growth. That means we need to learn from conflicts. That means if you've been having the same conflict for several years, you have not been growing. Because every time you have a conflict, you need to step back and ask yourself, how did I respond to this? How did my response make things worse? How can I respond differently next time? I remember I had a conflict with my wife, and we've had several 
And I remember one day, I was so angry and I was, I'm trying to make my point. And she sat there listening to me. And after finishing this very important point to me, I explained everything. I tried to use Greek words where necessary to drive in the point. She looked at me and she said, I still love you. <laughs> and I felt so stupid. Now, that's, that's the last time I, <laughs> I just said to myself, I'm not going to try to explain anything next time. <laughs> Conflicts give us an opportunity to grow. And that's what makes our relationships strong. It's when we grow from our conflicts, from our, our weaknesses. And that's why we need to be patient with ourselves and with one another. It is not our desire to look for conflicts, but when they happen, we should learn from them so that God can lead us to a place of fruitfulness. So we have two conflicts here. One is theological, the other one is personal. It's a personal preference. These are conflicts that happened to Christians. They happen to us. Sometimes we disagree over theological issues. Sometimes we do uh, over personal issues, personal preferences. This is how I want it done. This is how I want it done. This is how we should spend our money. This is how we should spend our money. This is how we should spend our vacation. This is how we should spend our vacation. This is how we should discipline our child. This is how we should, it's all personal preferences, which are influenced by our upbringing in most of our backgrounds, where we come from, our, our history. But they all happen to Christians. Now, when, when Paul and Barnabas part ways, Paul takes Silas, they go to the mission, and the church supports him, and, and, and Barnabas takes his brother John Mark. And then see what happens. Mark becomes useful because of Barnabas' encouragement. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 11, Paul is writing to Timothy. And he says, only Luke is with me. Get Mark. And bring him with you because he is helpful to me in ministry. He is helpful to me 
in ministry. I think Paul was impatient. God still used him, but I think he was impatient with Barnabas. I mean, with, with Mark. Mark also went ahead and wrote the gospel of Mark. God used him. What does this tell us? The theological issue that was settled has made it clear for us today to understand that in Christ God accepts everyone who believes. To understand that we don't add anything to our salvation. All we need to do is hear the gospel and respond to it. That when we acknowledge ourselves as sinners and turn to Christ who died for our sins and ask him to forgive us and to save us, he will do so. You don't need to do anything else. That question has been settled. What does this tell us about conflicts that happen to our lives? Only God can take our bad experiences and turn them to great blessings. Only God can take our conflicts, our disagreements, and turn them into a great blessing. Only he can take our weaknesses, our pain, our sickness, and everything that we have experienced that brings grief to us and turn it into a great blessing. Now, Hakuzimana, uh, when he preached, was that your first time? If, if I remind me, Hakuzimana, was it your first time to preach in English? That was your first time, right? And you know how hard that is? Because he has to think in his own language first. Before he can say it in English. And when he's saying it in English, he also has to think of all the grammar there is. And that is a great struggle. It's something that makes you pray a lot. And you know, I have heard people say a lot of good things. And they would say, oh, uh, I was blessed by that preaching. Oh, I was blessed by this. And sometimes I listen to them and I tell myself, oh, they're just saying this to encourage me. No. Because sometimes I go back and listen to my own preaching. And then I realize I made so so many grammatical mistakes. I have confused past tense and present tense, 
singular and plural. Like I see this and I'm like, ah. They had this. And I think of the people who have said, ah, it was a great blessing. I'm like, oh. These people are so encouraging. But when I see the transformation that continues to take place, when I see people growing in their faith as a result of that ungrammatical preaching, broken English, someone told me, oh, you have broken English like my friend. When I see the growth and the transformation that happened, there is only one conclusion that comes to my mind. And that is, God is able to take our weaknesses, our mistakes, our failures, and turn them into a blessing. Because even when we get it wrong, he still gets it right. And that should motivate us as believers. Because I'm telling you, my friend, you will get it wrong. And the enemy will want to discourage you. Some of us men don't know how to lead our houses. We get it wrong all the time. When I was getting married, one of the wisest men came to me, the man that I respect. And he told me, Valerian, there are only two ways of dealing with women. And I said, hallelujah. <laughs> I can handle two. And so I am now waiting to hear from him. I ask him, what are they? Tell me, too, I can deal with that. And he looked at me and he said, we still don't know them yet. <laughs> Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God who uses our weaknesses and our failings for his greatness. And therefore, my brother, my sister, this morning I will ask you to look at your life. And if there is any inconsistency in you, to turn it to God this morning. And that you may ask him to help you grow from that. And if you are here and Christ is not yet your savior, you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you have a chance you have a chance to turn to him this morning and ask him to forgive you and to save you. He is willing to do that. 
And for those of you that have made mistakes before that you look back to and you feel guilty, you blame yourself, just turn to God today and thank him for who you are. Thank him for the blessings that he's brought into your life and focus on growing. Don't focus on the mistakes of the past. Because when we get it wrong, he gets it right. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your word. And thank you for the hope that we have in you. We pray as you continue to transform us that you may teach us to submit to you, to obey your word so that we can be more like you. I pray that you may use us also to encourage one another as we walk together in this journey of life and that through us, Lord, you may be glorified in Jesus' name. Amen.